0: So much for coming. I am here with Lynn Rain, who I'm going to have her introduce herself and a little bit more about her background. But here we're talking about her article that was in the recent issue of Clinical Social Work Journal called "What Is Clinical Social Work Practitioners Views," and that will be linked in the show notes and it's also going to be up on our website. So once this um, podcast is released, you'll be able to access it for free for 30 days if you are no if you're not a member. And what I just wanted um, you to do is share a little bit about who you are and your position. And, and then if you could share just a little bit about the study and what prompted you to do the study, and then we can go from there.
1: That's great. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Dr. Lynn Raine. I'm an associate professor at Loma Linda University in the Department of Social Work and Social Ecology um but i but i also am a clinical social worker and have a private practice where you know i've seen clients for many years and that's where my heart kind of started in social work um that i wanted you know my you know unlike maybe other social workers you know i wanted to be a therapist um and but i i thought that social work was such a well-rounded profession that really drew me into an msw program versus you know an mft in psychology or um, you know, other social service, mental health fields. And I start with that because I think that's what kind of prompted this study. Um, my colleagues and I are all clinical social workers. Some of us are in our academia. Some of us are in a full-time practice and some adjunct. So this was a question that we all had and we were talking about and we were really interested in learning, you know, what, what do current contemporary clinical social workers, how do they define their work? How do they define what they do? How do they see, how do we see our discipline in social work in comparison to others? And, you know, this hasn't really been looked at for 40 years. When we delved into the literature, you know, really, there wasn't much since, you know, 1980s, 1990s. So it really got us thinking about how, how do we define ourselves now? Um, there's been, you know, we, we think there's been a lot of change in the last 40 years in mental health treatments. I think we also see shifts in education, where you know different theoretical approaches, or also, you know, political climate and cultural context plays a role in, in how we we shape and develop and train our future social workers. So we were curious to think about, you know, how has this changed, and are we seeing ourselves now the same way that we did forty years ago, or even you know, you know, the sort of our profession. So we were very intrigued. Um, And we also wanted to kind of start our project or think about our project from a very um, diverse lens. Um, So just to describe our research team a little bit, we had a, you know, white American male, we had an African American male, we had a Native American woman, we had an Asian American woman I identify as Latina, um, because we really you know, we wanted to seek this question, but we also knew that our own intersectionalities would play a role in how we would view and interpret and also the the networks that we had and the connections that we had. And we really sought out, and I know this was a qualitative study, not a quantitative study, but we really took efforts, you know, as we developed this study to really think about, you know, how can we, you know, go out there and get the the most diverse Um, voices on the table to speak on this. Uh, We really wanted people of color, we wanted people from marginalized communities to speak into their role of clinical social work, because we also started with the assumption that, you know, who we are in the world is who we're also treating in the world. Um, So we wanted to get kind of those diverse voices from as many social workers as we could. And I think for, you know, qualitative study, we had a good number, we had 40 participants um, from different parts of the U.S., which we were also wanting, you know, a white, to cast a wide net to see, you know, does this look different for, you know, social workers in the East Coast versus the West Coast? or
0: mm-hmm. So
1: that's kind of where we started off.
0: And it is, it is interesting if you think about social work over the last 40 years and you think about during that time period, we've had—I don't know how many new DSM versions. We've had managed care really come in. We've had um, uh, we've had licensure um, in many states and jurisdictions that we didn't have. So yeah, I would imagine just the the landscape of mental health services in general, but also our profession specifically. And again, with licensure and the proliferation of social work programs that have just risen. And and it's also interesting because I think social work has continues to have a split, which I think is a false dichotomy between people who do macro versus who do direct practice or clinical work. When one of my colleagues said to me years ago, we're all worker bees working in the same hive trying to, we're just sort of entering the system in a slightly different way keeping in mind all the supra and the subsystems that surround our focal system so it is an interesting question to think about all the changes and does that shape who we are as a profession so so what did you find what were some of the things that you came across in, yeah so in I think that and 40 is a large, it's a large number for a qualitative study.
1: Right. Um. So we were, we were pleased. We were pleased with the number of participants that, you know, volunteered their time, right. That wouldn't be possible to do this kind of research without people, you know, being willing to share their stories and their times with us. And I think, you know, responding to your question about, you know, yes, like, you know, given, you know, the, the years. So, so I'll respond to some of those questions. So I think one of the things that, you know, Everyone I think we interviewed had very different uh, practice settings, which I think was a strength and a limitation to our side. I mean, for our, our initial question of what is clinical social work, it was it was wonderful that we had such diversity, which is kind of what our goal was kind of going into the study mm-hmm. We wanted to hear not just from social workers in private practice, but we wanted to hear from social workers in, you know, community mental health and in hospital settings and in dialysis medical centers. We wanted to hear from clinical social workers in as many settings as we could find. Um, And we accomplished that. And, you know, like you said, we're all social workers in the same hive. So, you know, some of them were doing more micro roles versus macro roles or meso roles. But you know really the definition came out to be the same the you know theme of that clinical social workers provide mental health treatment within a systems approach um and we we start with this you know person and environment lens um and we pay attention to the social justice aspects right and i think that it's a very you know i, th- I think I think that the differential and where we're all the same, right, we're, we might be in different roles, but we think the same as being able to think in terms of complexity. So I think uh-huh. being able to think in those multi, multi-layers that I think it didn't matter where this, our clinical social workers were practicing from. They were always thinking of a person and environment approach as they were conceptualizing with their cases and the you know, groups and communities that they were working with they knew that they weren't just working with the individual in front of them or the group or the community that they were working with but that there were you know systemic layers at play and how those environments shape the individual and their challenges so really coming in with that person and environment lens taking a systemic approach in terms of intervention so knowing that um you know again you know even with social social justice issues you know we saw so many issues kind of heightened you know during the pandemic that social workers weren't just dealing with the trauma of individual and you know of individuals themselves but really conceptualizing within their communities within their jobs within the places of education where was this manifesting In that it wasn't just okay we'll treat the individual but we also have to take part and take action in that community where our clients live work play. Um, and I think that's what's you know very unique about our profession compared to others. Um, and then this, you know, level of advocacy as well. I think even when you know, the people we interviewed talked about direct practice or doing direct therapy at an individual setting, it, it was always advocating um, and empowering their individual clients. To take action to changing their their systems and their environments. So I think that's, um, you know, really, you know, it's true that we might be in different settings, but we're all operating and thinking in the same way. So I think that's what yeah, the, the main thing that came out.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because I've been having a lot of conversations with undergraduate psychology majors, who don't know anything about social work, as nor did I when I was a psych major, and are trying to figure out these different pathways that are in front of them. And I keep getting our psychology department is sending these students to me who are not sure they want to do the clinical PhD. Um, it's so research oriented, it's not they really just want to work directly with people. So I'm having a lot of conversations, and one of the things I'm really talking about is. What makes us different from psychology? And it's, I would say, I, I do say exactly what you're saying, which is we have this person in environment perspective that you cannot take that person and think about their interpsychic conflicts in isolation from the broader systemic issues that surround them and all the circles that create that context outward into the world context, like we're living in right now, we're no longer just limited to smaller circles around those individuals. Also, the other thing I always emphasize is our biopsychosocial spiritual perspective and how every aspect of that is interconnected with each other and the impossibility of separating any one from the other, how somebody's worldview, whether they're religious or not, how that worldview impacts their mental health, how their mental health impacts their health, how their health impacts their ability to access the services, the services, how that impacts their health. I mean, it's just, it's so interconnected. So it's, it's exciting to see that we are at least in social work education doing a good job of creating an identity that people can describe that sort of sets us apart from some of the other professions.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the other thing, like when we asked, you know, what are the skills needed, you know, what do social workers do? Um, Everyone said, you know, we, we engage, we assess, you know, we do biopsychosocial spiritual assessments. We diagnose, we treat, because um, if you think for example, school psychologist, you know, it, and I, and I'm I'm speaking from where I'm at, which I'm in California, so maybe in other states it's different, but school psychologists they're they're not trained to diagnose. um so that's something that's specific to social work. um so you know, so it was interesting to see that you know, we engage, we assess, we diagnose, and we treat. we're we're trained in all those levels. Um, so um very important to do that. And I think, you know, the other aspect, you know, it, you know, when I was really thinking of the results of our study and, you know, writing this article is that I think the main takeaway for me or the, the take-home message was we can really work with complexity um, with difficult clients, very difficult situations. We are really trained, you know, when we were doing these interviews, that's what we were, we were hearing, right? That especially in, you know, and we are you know, as well as social workers, we tend to be a multidisciplinary teams. Um, mm-hmm. So we tend to work in groups where, you know, I'm thinking like a medical hospital where, you know, we're part of the team or in schools where we're part of an individualized educational plan, or even mm-hmm. some, you know, practice setting where you have the psychologist and the psychiatrist and the social worker. And one of the things that I think we do really well with, and I think this is to give credit to our training is that we can, and and that person and environment and system lens is that we can really work with complexity and we can, um, because we can conceptualize from all those different frameworks and levels and really provide interventions at these multiple levels, whether it's micro, meso, macro, where we don't have a single focus in our treatment. You know, we're not just focusing on, you know, the, the client who's depressed in front of us or the client who is homeless, but really thinking of all the aspects and all the different levels. So I think that we do, you know, our, our strength is really working in complexity and situations that are not clear cut or, um, and and I see this a lot, Um, you know, especially in places where, you know, there, there's certain settings that like to hire certain mental health professionals like I'm thinking of for example university counseling centers that typically tend to hire psychologists <laughs> to provide um, therapy and when I've seen that um, university counseling centers are bring, I've seen in a couple instances where they bring in a social worker and they're blown away because they're they're not trained the same way. And I know it depends, you know, psychology has a lot of different specializations. So I'm sure sure some psychologists versus others are trained differently, but as a whole, they're not thinking about, you know, for example, working for, and I'll give this example, right. With a, with a university counseling center, I would say most psychologists would probably work with the university college student walking in and try to provide individual treatment where a social worker may realize this is beyond what I can do here. I'm going to contact the family to do a family session over Zoom, or I'm going to contact their psychiatrist or, or, you know, or advocate for, you know, something to change within their academics, you know, to send a letter to the professors or work with the university systems to advocate for the student to get some accommodations. You know, we're not Uh just thinking about working with the individual in front of us, but I think you know, most clinical social workers, when they're sitting there in front of their clients, you know, it's like these, these thought bubbles that come up from all these yeah. different, you know, levels of, of what needs to be done. So I think that's a very unique training and, and strength of our profession and how we're trained. That's very unique to other disciplines.
0: Well, the thought bubbles, I mean, we train social work students to do eco maps. And so they're working within the, you know, they might be doing the psychotherapy with the individual, but then the eco map is being hopefully visualized and all the different parts of that exosystem that should be considered and networked. And like you said, advocate for those different, um, uh, different connections and, and doing some of that system brokering that social work is so, so good at. I mean, I, one of the reasons I wanted you to come on is because I do think this is such an interesting and important question, but but do you think that clinicians from other disciplines, psychology or psychiatry, um, or masters in counseling or master's in family therapy, do you think they consider this question? and what if so, do you think this is a universal question that most professions ask? or do you think it's do you think it's because, of something unique within social work that brought this question up for your team and other people that you've talked to
1: that's a great question and you know i've uh, i've thought about that in terms of of a further study to you know ask other professionals what do you think of social workers right because it's we can define ourselves but how do others view us and i think in some ways we can lack when when i think and this is my opinion I think that when when we think of psychologists or MFTs, I think they know exactly what their role is, right? Like an MFT goes into training to be a therapist, to provide counseling and that is it. That's very clear. No one has any questions about what their role is or what they're doing. I mean, their their title says it, right? They're marriage and family therapists. They provide therapy to marriages and families and I mean, as well as individuals, that's not the title, but, you know, I think psychologists too, with, you know, they're, they're going in, especially, you know, clinical psychologists or counseling psychologists, they're going in with training to, to test and and provide therapy. Uh, Where I think sometimes I think where it gets confusing for us is because we serve many different roles. So I think sometimes there's a lack of identity. So one of the missions that I have, you know, after I started this study was to when people ask me, what do you do? Instead of saying I'm a therapist in private practice or I'm a university professor, I say I'm a social worker. When I when I have to fill out a exactly. form, when I have to fill out a form, it says, what's your occupation? I'm a social worker. And then I could explain people. So I think, exactly. you know, my my public service announcement here in this podcast is if you are a clinical social worker out there, introduce hey, yourself it. first as a social worker.
0: <laughs> That's exactly what I do. I, I I actually tell my students that I think one of the things that is confusing and it dilutes our profession is when people describe what their role is versus the profession. There's so mis- so much misunderstanding about social work and clinical social work especially. And so I do think it's easier to say I'm a psychotherapist and people know what that is. There's, they get it. But I, when I say I'm a clinical social work, clinical social worker, and I practice psychotherapy because I think you can be a clinical social worker and be a director of an agency. You can be a clinical social worker and do medical assessments. You can be a clinical social worker and conduct research so I so appreciate that because that's something that I've been doing for a really long time to really kind of stake my claim that I am I am so proud to be a social worker. And whenever I talk to these um, psychology students I was talking about, I say, by the end of this conversation, I'm gonna convince you that social work is the best profession and this is why. And I I feel like we do have a public um, service announcement role to be able to say, this is who we are. This is what we do. No, we don't just take children away. We do work in communities where we are involved with child protective services, but we're in schools. As you said, we're in medical settings, we're in dialysis clinics, we're in administrative roles, we're in lobbying organizations, we're in nonprofits. Um, So I I and very we much political roles right
1: us. we have a lot of social workers and political 100%. roles as well yeah and i think um there you know i completely agree with you that there is there are a lot of myths and in, in our in our field you know when, when i tell people you know i'm a social worker they think oh you're in child protective service i'm like no i've never worked for them um or they think of us simply as resource referral case managers um yes. permitting resources and referrals like a hospital discharge planner um, so I mm-hmm. think that um, there are myths. I think that when we look at other fields, the identity is more solidified. And I think, you know, I think the study shed a lot of light in that, where I think it might be an identity problem, be- and not that we don't see ourselves that way, or we're not proud of the profession. But I think because of the many roles that we do serve, it's not that the public sees us in a single role, right? Like they might see a psychologist, or they might see... Um, you know, an MFT or even internationally, right? When you think in the international platform, everybody knows what a psychologist is. And I know social yeah. work is a, you know, it's a global profession, but I think there's, there's less understanding.
0: I think another issue that we've had historically that could cause this confusion is that we didn't have title protection for a very, very long time. And so there were people in hospitals and working within human service organizations that had the role of social worker, but not the degree of social worker. Whereas I think psychologists have been very, they've been able to protect their title. And that I think has made it cleaner and more clear about, oh, that's who you are. And I know you have a degree in that. Um, whereas we didn't have that for so many years. And I think that created a lot of confusion.
1: Well, and we still don't. Um, so not all states have title protection. I'm in a state that does not oh. have title protection. So actually California
0: you know, does not really does
1: not have title protection. So for example, oh. eligibility, eligibility workers and departments of public social services that are providing, you know, cash aid um, or you know, food stamps or things like that, they're called social workers. And um, I know, for example, child welfare, child welfare services are called social workers and they don't need to have a social work degree. They could have a bachelor's in wow. business. And as long as they have that job, they're called social worker one or social worker two. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I was, I was going to mention that, that I, I think that's a huge issue as well. I believe psychologists, at least here in California, they can't, even if they have a PhD in psychology, they cannot call themselves a psychologist till they pass their board licensure. Um, they're not allowed mm-hmm. to uh, refer to themselves as such. So, um, so I think title protection is one of those big ones that I, I, and, and, you know, I know here in my state, it's gone up a few times and I don't understand why it doesn't get passed. Um, you know, you don't see other, pro- you know, I can't call myself a medical physician if I don't have an MD and, and have a license to practice medicine. So I don't understand where, you know, And I think that's a huge, you know, piece for policy, you know, um, as we think about implications of this study. I mean, this is one of of the ones that I think it's, it's a big one, because I think that, you know, I think of two pieces, I think of our own identity as clinical social workers. But I also think about, you know, the public's perception of our field and how the public views us. And I think that this is essential um for that in terms of you know i know that there there's uh in many fields and you know as a whole in the nation like there's this you know um push for transparency of services and clarity and we have to be really clear like i know my state when therapists advertise for therapy they can't just they can't just have a name like um sunny day (laughs) you know it has to say sunny day therapy like it has to be clear that what you're providing therapy, even in the name of, in your fictitious name, there has to be something related to what you do. So there's this need you know, there's this push for transparency and clarity. And I think that title protection is, you know, goes hand in hand with that, which is so important.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I could not agree more. I think it's, I think it's, it's been a huge disservice to, to our profession. So, um, I mean that's sort of the the macro context in which many of us are practicing. Um, we do have title protection here in D.C. Um, in the we call it the DMV, the um, District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia. There is title protection, and I lived in North Carolina, where we also that was passed also. But what about how we train social workers? Is there anything around social work education? You're an educator. You worked. It sounds like part of your research team had some people affiliated, but what do you think that we are doing well around our training about what is clinical social work versus what are some areas where we as educators could be doing a better job of creating either a stronger identity or greater clarity about what the roles are? Um, I mean, it does sound like your results found pretty consistent themes. So it sound, maybe we are doing okay um, with it, but do you have any ideas in terms of our training and education of how we could be addressing this issue?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, I think we do really well in terms of our uh, pride in the profession. I think most social workers um, experience a lot of pride in who they are and, and being part of, of you know such an amazing field but i think going back to what we talked about earlier it's the confusion of doing so many things you know when i would talk to undeclared students or students that were interested in social work i would you know draw three bubbles for them and i said we do research we do policy and we do practice um and i think that because you know we're involved in different things, and, and the training is, you know, to me it's a very holistic and well-rounded training. Sometimes that gets a little lost for students. I also think you have students coming in like like me, who was an undergrad psych major, going into a master's in social work program and saying, "I want to be a, a clinician. I want to do therapy." And then you have the students that are like, "I'm interested in macro. I never want to do therapy in my life." Right. So I think you know we do train them all, at least at the master's level, where everyone gets trained to you know, in practice and in research and in policy work. So I think we do a good job in terms of, again, having pride for the profession. I think we all understand that we're a strength-based profession. I think we all understand that we're a value-driven profession. I think people take, you know, dignity and worth of others very highly. And that came through in our study. Um, But where I think that, you know, a couple areas that we can strengthen is like, like we were just talking about, leading with a profession, training our students to say we're social workers first, then mm-hmm. here's the roles we do. And then all of us have multiple roles. I haven't met a social worker yet that doesn't do you know more than one job or yeah. participates at least in one other activity outside of yeah. their full-time employment. We do a lot. We have a lot of skill sets. And I think that we need to be proud of them. But I think I think it takes all of us, right, to educate the public of what is a social worker and what are we trained to do. So I think that's one of them. Leading with, I'm a a social worker. I also think that we need to focus on, you know, with that on our on our identity, and 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 those roles that we. Uh, we take the other, the other big one for me being a clinical social worker that I am, that I want us to be just as well trained as an MFT or a psychologist in terms of our clinical skills. And I know that all different programs are different throughout the nations. You have some programs that emphasize clinical work and are known for that, where others are known more for their macro work. But I think that given that we are training clinical social workers, and and I don't know, maybe this is something that, you know, we still need those distinctions or not. And I know that we have the Council of Social Work Education that mandates certain, you know, competencies that we teach and um, evaluate our students in. But I think that there needs to be good clinical training. You know, one of the things that came out in our study was this lack of theoretical orientation, which you know, I don't know do we need to have that or not? I mean, I think the person and environment model, you know, that ecological framework, you know, I think that that came across. Um, we do like systems perspective. However, it was a it was a gap. and and I don't know if I were to interview psychologists or MFTs if they would have a stronger theoretical orientation. I think that shows to me the way I interpreted those results is that it shows the the wide scope and breadth of practice that we do. Um, A lot of it, you know, going back to how we started this conversation of what has changed in 40 years has been the funding sources. And what a lot of the social workers in our interview mentioned was that, you know, even though they may have come out of graduate school with a theoretical orientation that they um, really, that really aligned with them and they learned well, that in terms of interventions, it was based on the program and the funding sources. You know, a lot of community mental health has moved into these, you know, evidence-supported treatments, um, which they call, you know, evidence-based practices, even though they're not, but they have these set things that they want their therapist to do and a lot of manualized treatments. So even if you have, a, you know, a therapist that's psychodynam- psychodynamically trained, um, they can't use that. They may use it in their conceptualization of the cases, but they're not allowed to use those interventions. So what a lot what came through, you know, there was no, you know, no themes. Like no, no one, um we had uh you know, we didn't get one single theoretic orientation, but what you know the art participants did say is, you know, it doesn't matter because we have to use, you know, that's site dependent. We're you know, if it's a brief kind of therapy model that they're using because their site only offers short-term therapy, whether they're offering only manualized treatment. I, you know, I worked in community mental health for 11 years. And when I left, they were basically training all therapists to be trained in these ESTs and evidence supported treatments. And you had to pick one for your clients and follow that manual. You were no longer allowed to Mm -hmm. develop your own intervention. So I think that I don't know if that's a lack of theoretical orientation from our part or if it's, again, the context that we are in in terms of mental health, you know, in terms of funding sources requiring brief treatments or wanting to see, you know, effectiveness and efficacy in short term because of, you know, limited funding. Um, which I think is, you know, a big issue across disciplines and across the board and in our nation. So that's, that's one of the things that, um, I think we could do a better job though, is in training our clinical social workers really well. So they could be at the table and be just as good, uh, and just as efficient and effective as an MFT or psychologist, which I think, again, depends on the school that you go to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, our, our our program is, I'm at Catholic University and our program is very, very much driven by theoretical perspectives and has um, a big emphasis on how theory should drive practice. And we do hear, I don't know that they're horror stories, but we do hear stories about when then people enter the field and they're feeling... Very restricted by the ways that they can practice because of the funding sources. That's, of course, not true across every setting, obviously, but um, we certainly do hear from students that they wanted to get additional training and they end up having to go outside of their workplace to get additional training because it's not so much offered. We're very fortunate in this area that we have a number of postgraduate training programs that people can go to for additional training in particular theoretical orientations and, and that's available here, but that's again, post COVID there's more options online, but it is, I think a very delicate balance of being, as you said, being able to do your own case formulations and understanding and being able to put those and present those to a team while there's external pressure to follow, a, you know, sort of line up people either in door number one, two, or three, and those are your those are your three options.
1: The other thing we found that was interesting, um, again being a social work educator, I, I was surprised about this was the lack of mention of monitoring and evaluation. So I think only, oh, yes. I think it was only two people that mentioned monitoring or evaluation in our study, and I was surprised by that. And and I don't know if again this is, given the push for you know these. Evaluation treatments that they're doing evaluations based on the, these manualized treatments that are being offered, uh, but I was that you know again we we push this right? It's one of our competencies in social work education, but very it was almost non-existent um, any discussion oh, of treatment evaluation.
0: I have asked my students. I I teach a I whenever I talk about creating a treatment plan, I talk about trying to have measurable outcomes built into that treatment plan. What are the objectives? So. Are you looking to decrease um, depression? And how are you gonna know? Are you looking to increase somebody's coping skills? How are you gonna know? And whenever I ask students how they do that at their agencies, there's virtually nobody who raises their hand and says, oh, we do this. And I equate it to driving in a car and you're taking a road trip and you're trying to go from point A to point B. And I said, well, how are you gonna know you're on the right road? How are you gonna know you're moving towards your destination? You've gotta have some sort of benchmarks along the way, just like you do with a GPS or signposts along the road that tell you how many more miles. Um, But just riding in the car and asking the person next to you, how do you think their trip is going? which they, you might have great snacks, you might have great music, you might have you know, great conversation, but that doesn't tell you that you're actually heading towards your goals. And I think we, I don't know if it's a hesitancy that we don't actually want to know because we don't wanna hear that we're not doing a good job or if it's just we're not doing a good enough job in social work programs to emphasize this or if, again, if it's a larger larger issue in the field, where you would think with these empirically supported interventions, there would be more of a push to check in to see whether or not they're working, and yet there doesn't seem to, there seems to be a real disconnect between we want you to do something that's empirically supported, and yet we're not actually going to follow up to see whether or not that's effective for your clients. So there seems to just be a disconnect there.
1: Yeah. Unless the only thing I can think of, and again, you know, this is speculation that maybe in these agencies, there's these surveys get sent out without the clinician's awareness, which, you know, should be part of the treatment and should be included, but maybe it's happening, but it's happening outside of their control you know, or someone else's be conversation
0: between the provider, the person who's providing, because I, I always say, can you imagine going to any place and just never having, you know, that you're getting a service and you don't have an expectation on what the outcome is and not having a conversation that you have a shared understanding. And we know from the research, all of Bruce Wampold's work and others, that having a shared conceptualization of what the goal is and how you're going to get there Dramatically increases outcomes. Mm-hmm. So it is. It's always shocking to me when I ask that question. I I don't know when I won't be shocked anymore, but I continue to be shocked that people don't aren't really investigating that. Yeah. Um. Well, I know we could talk forever, but I I know we're looking at the end of time. So if if there's anything that you would say are the major implications, what would be some of the the top implications you would say are important for our listeners to take away from this study? And then any final thoughts that you have that you want to make sure to get in?
1: Yeah. So I think some, some takeaways would be that, you know, clinical social work really defies simple definition. And I think this is due to our wide scope. Like I was talking about the breadth of our practices, right. That we operate at micro meso macro levels. We can't really define that in a pretty square box, you know, in one sentence, because we do a lot. And I think that's why it's difficult to define because of the different settings and the different roles. And it is all clinical social work. Like you said, you could be an agency- director um, who's a clinical director and not provide any direct practice but you're still a clinical social worker right i i consider myself a clinical social worker even though i'm a full-time educator um, so it defies simple definition and, and i think that's a good thing i think it speaks to the strength and um, how much we bring the other pieces are unique training that we are. You know, one of the questions I was curious is what makes us different, or distinct, or unique compared to other professions, and that we truly have unique training and unique skill sets. That oftentimes we serve in a lot of consultant roles, and I think that's the part that you know people don't realize. I, I know I've been called as a consultant at, at the, you know at university levels from the president's office because they had a problem to solve and they couldn't solve it and they needed social workers so what I found in institutions I've been affiliated with is that social workers weren't just teaching in the classroom but we were being pulled to different departments whether it was a title IX office that needed support or the president's office or the provost office or you know university life that you know we're serving in committees but they're not just we're not just they're doing committee work, but we're really bringing our expertise and our skill sets to the table to really work on and help resolve those those complexity of problems that we have. That unique training to solve. Um, uh-huh. So I've seen it often, you know, that we serve in consultant roles, you know, even in industry, you know. And, and, You know, things that you would see maybe industrial psychologists working on, they, you know, I know a lot of colleagues of mine that serve as consultants for for profits, nonprofits, you know, to solve all, you know, different things that they're struggling with. I think the last one is, you know, that we're truly a value driven profession that we believe in people's, you know, values and worth. And this is where the social justice, you know, advocacy piece comes in for me, is that we're trying to balance the power differentials, I think, even in direct practice, when we're doing therapy. We're not coming in as the experts, but we know that we need to empower that person in front of us to be part of it, part of the treatment, and that they are, you know, seen as the experts to really, you know, um, balance that power struggle. But really, you know, I think, and what really came out from the study was that clinical social social workers really you know, want, you know, they didn't come in as the expert or as, you know, I have the power in there, even though we know we have power, right. Because we, you know, people come to us for help. So we know that we're aware of that, but really wanting to balance that and empowering our clients and again, working in those other systems um, to really make change, create change, not only at the individual client level, but in their environment and then the different levels that they're involved in.
0: Well, great. Is there anything else that you would want our listeners to take away from this conversation?
1: That I think clinical social worker is the best profession out there if you're considering social service.
0: (laughs) I completely agree, 100%. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share your study with us and talk a little bit about the implications. I think this was really useful. And hopefully, people are really, it gets, the juices flowing about what do they do and why they do it and how they do it. And is it working and how do we pull all of those different pieces into our work in these multitudes of roles that we play? So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having um, me. I really appreciate it.